where I just really, I think it's fun to follow what's fulfilling and what feels good and what's interesting to you. And and then if another shiny object comes along that's really fulfilling and exciting for you, then follow that. Welcome to Shadow Work Podcast. I'm your host and my name is Matt. I started this podcast for two reasons. One, because I think we need a counter narrative to the one being fed to us by society about what it's like to live as an artist. We're constantly told that artists live poor, lonely, miserable lives. And that narrative has kept me from pursuing my dreams for a huge chunk of my life, which is why now I want to do whatever I can to change that narrative, to give us back faith that what we're doing as artists is really just following our soul's true calling, and that doing what makes us happy is not spoiled, but actually will allow us to bring inspiration and joy to other people. My second reason for doing this podcast is to create a community. A lot of us don't have a group of artists around us that we can reach out to for support and encouragement when we're struggling, or even just someone who can say, you know what, I've been there too, when we're in a rut or just blocked in any kind of way. So by having open and honest conversations with artists about what it's really like, about the ups and the downs, I hope to bring this sense of community to artists or creatives who really need to hear these conversations. I'll be asking the people I interview how they've overcome their blocks, how they've raised their self-worth, and how they manage to stay sane and productive in their creative lives. So if you know anyone who might benefit from hearing these conversations, please share it with them. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the podcast. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's good to be here. <laughs> it's great to have you. So great. Um, so do you want to just start by introducing yourself to the people who might not know who you are? Yes. So my name is Meg Lewis. I am a designer by trade, but I do so much more in addition to design. I've kind of created a career for myself that's a reflection of everything that I have to offer the world, which is a bunch of seemingly random things that I'm interested in and good at doing. So I try to incorporate those into my career as much as possible. So that spans things like podcast spaces, workshops, uh, speaking. I have some books and I do a lot of writing. There is just so much stuff in addition to design, but it all brings in my skills as a designer because I get to design a lot of stuff for all of that. I know. Amazing. That's so cool. I mean, your kind of whole universe that you built, I just love it. It's yeah, it's really, it's good that we have you in the world. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Definitely. Um, so what, what are you working on right now? Like, what are you, what are you preoccupied with at the moment? What I'm working on right now is a few brand design projects. So I have client work that I do. I've been a freelancer my whole career. So I have a lot of freelance brand work that I'm doing. I do one-off um, product pieces. Like I design stuff for other people's product lines. Um, so in addition to large scale branding projects, I also do a lot of like one-off product design and textile design pieces. Um, so I'm working on a little bit of that. I'm also working on, I have two podcasts of my own. 
own. Um, one is Dribble's podcast that I host. It's called Overtime. So that is a weekly podcast where I report on design news from the past week in addition to just uh, a different additional topic that's giving you a tip to create your best work. And then my other podcast is one that I create all on my own. And it is a comedy meditation and mindfulness podcast called Sit There and Do Nothing. And in that one, I do guided meditations and weird but soothing stories and affirmations and all kinds of just weirdly soothing experiences. Um, and then in addition to the podcasts um, going on right now, I have a shared workspace. I live in Minneapolis in the U.S. Um, and here I have a shared workspace where I work out with a bunch of my friends. And so I maintain and operate that space. And I'm sure there's so many other things that I'm doing that I can't remember off the top of my head. <laughs> gotten to be the problem is my career is so many random things. And so whenever somebody asks me what I'm working on now, I can only remember the thing that I'm currently doing. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, but I, and I think that's really cool. I think a lot of people have a sort of fear around doing a lot of different stuff and just working in a lot of different fields. Like, how did you how did you come to sort of break down those barriers in your head or Oh my gosh. It's been, it's been an interesting process because it's just been a lot of self-discovery and learning about what I need to feel fulfilled. And what I need is different from what a lot of other people need. And so a lot of getting over this was just realizing that the expectations other people have for what I should do for a job isn't what makes me feel fulfilled. So for me, I really value having my freedom and kind of having a schedule where I'm in charge of deciding what I get to do. Um, and, and that's, that goes against a lot of the pressure that we receive when we're being taught in school and, uh, the pressure that we receive that I've received from, you know, friends and family members over my life is yeah. that I, you know, commit to one thing and commit to one job and be responsible and all of that. And so I've just had to learn <laughs> about what's important to me and realize that it's okay if I do something that doesn't look like what anybody else is doing. Um, and once I kind of had that epiphany that if I create a job for myself and a career for me that is a reflection of what makes me fulfilled that might not look what it like what anybody else has I'm ultimately able to create things and make businesses and start things that no one else is doing yet and from a marketing perspective that's actually amazing and so I've realized that I can just position myself in a way that's refreshing and unlike anybody else that exists because I am unlike anybody else that exists so now I just um I'm very empowered by that information. And I try to share that with as many people as possible because I truly think that we can all create careers um, that are made just for us that are unlike careers that anybody else has. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm totally down with that. I totally agree. And it's really, yeah, it's so awesome to see you doing that. And I think that in itself is just so inspiring for people. Oh, um, yeah. Well, you're doing you're doing something similar too. like you also have such a recognizable style and that's what people know you for. And I think that that's that's an incredible spot to be able to finally, you know, get to and realize what your style is. I think a lot of people get confused by all of this. And um, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. We all get in our own way and overthink things so much. And I know most designers that I talk to are always so confused about what their style is and constantly guess second guessing every decision that they make when it comes to defining a style for themselves. Exactly. And I think it's so interesting that you say that I have a, a distinctive style because 
I don't think I do. You know, I think I, I think my style is all over the place. <laughs> but I also think, you know, when you're in your own head and you know everything you've done in like super detail, you, you have a different like view on it than other people. And other people are like, oh, yeah, that's just Matt. She's making, you know, crazy lions or cats or whatever, like constantly. And I'm like, but this cat is super different. Like, can you tell? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. It's it's such a different experience being inside of your own brain um, yes. <laughs> and being outside of yourself. But yeah, well, I think that your style shows through it, just like most people's does is because it's a reflection of your brain. Right. And, you know, you're you're neurologically different and your DNA is different from everybody else's. So your your brain is going to churn out work that, you know, nobody else's can. And so that's when I think that everybody technically really does have a style inside of them. Mm -hmm. um, we just get influenced by other people's work so much and trends. And there's so much going on that um, tells our brains to make things in different ways because we think that's what other people want. Um, but I think once you can kind of get past that a little bit, you can start to reveal your own unique style and try to push that forward. Because again, you can market and position yourself as doing something that nobody else can do. Um, because it's a true reflection of what you have to offer the world. Yeah. And, and how, how did you start to sort of, I mean, what was your path is, I guess is what I want to know, like from, from looking at other people's stuff and being confused about all of that and not allowing yourself to just like freely create and have fun and all of that. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a, hard journey um, that has required a lot of self-exploration and, and answering a lot of questions about myself. And because I think throughout my career up until a few years ago when I kind of made all of this these realizations is I was making work that was very influenced by other people's work. So I would just be on Pinterest all day or like looking and being inspired by other designers that were kind of working in the same medium as me. And I was thinking about it all the time and noticing what they did that was successful and so I would try to emulate that. I would say I'd studied other designers that were doing su successful things that looked like fun to me. And so I'd emulate what they were doing um, and hope that it would then be successful for me. And I think I just felt really guilty all the time because I thought I was making work that looked too close to other people's work. And it made mm -hmm. me just feel bad when I wasn't good at something. So if I studied a uh, somebody's work who was really good at hand lettering, for example, I would feel really bad about myself because I kept trying to hand letter and nothing would look good. Once I was able to just finally become empowered about the small set of things that I am really good at and just double down on those and do those things all the time, then the insecurities about, you know, jealousy and comparing my own work to other people's work kind of shed away because once I learned to love the things I can offer the world, I started to notice to love the things that other people can offer the world that I can't. So now when I look at somebody's work who's really good at hand lettering, I don't feel bad about myself anymore because I know when they look at my work, they they probably think, oh, she's really good at something that they're not. And, you know, so we're always doing that with other people. And so now just embracing the skill set that I have that's so specific to me and pushing that forward 100% has helped me to be less jealous of other creatives, but it's also helped me to feel like I'm not an imposter anymore. You know, I'm owning yeah. the space that I'm designing in, which has helped me really create a style that's um, unique to me and recognizable. Yeah, I think it's so, it's so interesting talking about this imposter thing and copying other people and stuff because I think 
you know, we all do that when we first start out, you see something and you just like covered it. You're just like, oh, I want to, I want to do the same kind of, I need to have made that in a way that there's something in it. Um, and I think we all do that and nobody really talks about it. So I'm happy you're talking about that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's just, it's a painful process and it's hard to get out of that of that thought process, really. Um, we're just so used to studying successful people and doing what they do. I think that's just what we're taught. So when it comes to design of and illustration and art in general, of course, we're going to try to do that. And I think a lot of it, a lot of getting outside of that is to stop looking at other people's work that are making work that's the same medium as you and start thinking inward about like, for example, what are the qualities of your personality that make you the most unique and how can you actually translate those things into visuals that are kind of a pattern and, and showcase in your work from time to time? And then thinking through, like, uh, even before you were a creative, what were the through lines throughout your life that have inspired you that have been a massive point of inspiration for, for you from when you were a kid all the way until now? And how can you put those to visuals? Like, for me, whenever I did all these exercises, is it helped me to create my style because I realized that throughout my whole life, I've been inspired by a very specific set of things. I'm inspired by mimes and circus art. I'm inspired by character actors that are really emotive with their faces. I'm, I've always been inspired by creating ex really rich experiences for people that are completely immersive and so making those lists of the things that I've been inspired by that I'm still inspired by today, it was helpful for me to then visualize what those things look like and notice any sort of through lines as far as color goes or themes go or content goes. And then for me, I look kind of looked at the colors and I realized that a very specific color palette emerged. And I looked and noticed that there was a lot of contrast. There was a lot of faces that were like very emotive. There was... um especially when you get into the the thinking about like circuses and mimes there are certain design elements that go with all of that stuff. And so I started to create kind of like a style guideline for myself of how to create a style for me that's a visual representation of what makes my personality and the inspiration throughout my life really unique. And then translating that into a visual style that I can then kind of stick to. So I make sure that I create work that looks so unique to me, but it's also a huge representation of what's important to me. That's always been a huge part of who I am as a person. Yeah. Oh, it's that's it's so inspiring to hear. You know, you talk about your how how you came to be like where you are now. But what what do you do if you sort of grow out of that? I mean, I, I always feel like I'm growing, and then I'm looking back. I'm like, oh, that's just not me anymore. You know, and <laughs> yeah. I have to change every time I I go traveling and I come back to my studio. I'm like, no, this is all wrong. I have to paint everything <laughs> another color. And you know, <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, that's that's a great point, and that happens to me all the time still, but I think that's why I've kind of realized that it's most helpful for me if I can tune into the things that have always been true about me and design around those things because it's most likely that they will continue to be true about me. And that way, it's broad enough that I can grow and change and reflect and adapt within those set of constraints, like those mm -hmm. very um, high-level guidelines that I'm setting for myself. And I think it's fun to see how 
my myself, I'm still myself. And those things about myself that I'm translating into a visual style, well, probably it's very likely that they'll always remain true. But they're so broad and so open ended that I can grow and change within that. And um, this is definitely a work in progress. So I think it'll be interesting for me to see my work grow and evolve as I change as a person. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it, there's also something really beautiful in sort of allowing yourself to go with, with just what you like. And I mean, in the beginning, I, I was very much like, okay, Matt, you have to draw something other than a cat or like make something <laughs> other because it's like, well, and, and in the end, I was just like, nah, maybe I just make another cat, you know, yeah. and just like allowing yourself to flow with whatever, whatever you want. You know, I think that that really makes for some great work because because it'll have sort of energy in it. I mean, and that be feel forced, right? Yeah, I think that that's a great point because it's it's all surrounding by what most fulfilling for you to make, what feels good. And I think that the goal for us all should just be to have careers that make us feel good, that are fulfilling for us. And it's so easy to get in your own way and guess everything that you're doing and overthink it all. And I think that whenever we make work that feels fulfilling, that's a total reflection of who we are. It's going to both look completely recognizable as our own, but it's going to, because it's making us feel fulfilled, it's going to look so much better. It's going to feel so much better. Um, You know, like the work that we make when we're really frustrated the whole time, it's not going to come across as looking very fresh and (laughs) Exactly. No. Other people. So I think that there's nothing wrong with going with what makes you feel good. And I mean, for you, like drawing cats all the time, like it, that helps you to have work that's recognizable. Like it really helps in as an artist, especially if you're on the artist side of the spectrum. I think that it helps to have things that are recognizable. It's helpful to have a thing so that people see your work and they know that it's yours. And I think it also helps it to not be as easy to recreate by other people. Right, definitely, yeah, and 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 your your sort of goal um, to to help other creatives like have a fulfilling career. Does that come from? I mean, have have you been in a place in your life when when you were very much the opposite of what you are now, like stuck in some rot job that you didn't really like, or? Yeah, I, I'm, I've always been a freelancer, which has been an interesting thing to deal with. And I think that whenever I was in college and I left college and decided to be a freelancer and nobody taught me how to do what I was supposed to do, I didn't know anything about freelancing. And so I was just kind of guessing and, you know, making up everything as I went along. And I think I was operating a lot out of fear because I was so afraid that nobody would hire me. You know, where was the next project going to come from? Would I be able to pay my bills that month? And so I would just take on any job that I could possibly get. And because of my brain, my style was naturally kind of coming out because those are the colors I like to use. And, and these are the things that the decisions that my brain just kind of naturally makes. And so I was working for any client who would hire me, which included a lot of like pharmaceutical companies or insurance company, you know, like very dry brands and companies were hiring me. Mm -hmm. And they were so dissatisfied with working with me because I was making work that was really friendly and personable and they just wanted to seem dry and serious and authoritative. Uh, yeah. so I was having a lot of relationship issues, even though I was a great 
freelancer at getting things done on time and being really communicative and prompt, I was still getting fired a lot from clients because I was unable to make work that they liked that fit with their brand message. And it was such a frustrating process of figuring out what I could do that would make people satisfied. And once I finally was able to communicate effectively what my style is, what uh, makes me unique as a designer and who I like to work with. Um, once I was able to identify that for myself, I was able to communicate it through the, you know, the language on my website and the way that I talk about myself. Mm -hmm. And then naturally I started to attract um, businesses and companies that felt more in line with what I had to offer. And so it, that was a scary thing to have to do because I was, you know, so scared all the time of not getting any work. So I knew as soon as I admitted that I was a designer that worked in a space where I was creating friendly, personable brand design, it was scary to admit that because I knew I would be driving away so many clients. Yeah. And so my attitude at the time when I did that was like, <laughs> is that a so cat? Th that's my that's my angel yeah shut up ted i'm recording <laughs> <laughs> he usually never talks but obviously now he has to moan of course <laughs> you're recording yeah oh, he's the spotlight yeah <laughs> um so what i was saying was uh once i finally got over that fear hurdle, I decided to say, well, let me just change over my website and the language and the way I'm talking about myself for a month. And I'm going to see how it feels and how it goes. If people are responding well to it, then I'll keep it or I'll revise it. And if it's not going well, then I'll just change it back to the way it was before. And so I did this month long experiment where I just doubled down on it and I worked really hard. Um, to sell myself this way. And it worked so well because I had a clear and concise message about who I was, what I was doing and who I was doing it for. And then people understood how to place me and I got more work than I got before. And I got more work that was in line with what I wanted to be doing and what felt better to me. And then immediately the relationships were improved because the clients knew what to expect from my work and there was no confusion anymore about my style versus what they needed from me and that was an amazing epiphany that i had of realizing that fear was getting in my way and i was getting in my own way so much and so ever since then i've just been trying to figure out how i can do that even more and more and more and yeah. that's why i'm at where i am today that is, that is like freaking amazing and <laughs> yeah i think that's a really, really good approach. And I think that fear is in the way of most of us. Like it's such a core thing that we all struggle with. And that leads me back to, because when I started to sort of shed my fear was when I started meditating. So I'm wondering if, if it's the same for you or how you got onto that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think, um, I've always been a pretty mindful person in that I tend to live in the now just pretty naturally. I've always been that way. Um, and so I'm, I'm usually not dwelling on the past too much and I definitely don't like to think about the future and I'm never worrying about the future. Um, and so that's been really helpful throughout my career of 
being able to just think about how I'm feeling in each moment and what is working for me and what feels right versus what feels wrong. And when it comes to meditation, I really enjoy whenever my brain is feeling too busy and I have just have too many thoughts about too many things. I really like meditation for that reason um, because it kind of resets my brain and helps me to refocus once I'm finished. Mm-hmm. And I think that the meditation podcast that I now have is kind of a a realization that I had where I, somebody asked me once if I wanted to do a workshop with them where there would be, um, basically the curriculum that I like to do where I teach people how to find a career that's just for them mixed with yoga and meditation. And I thought that sounded really fun. Um, but I, my response was like, please don't make me do the meditations. I would just laugh the whole time if I had to guide everyone through a meditation and be very silly. I don't even know what I'd say. And then, you know, a couple of weeks passed and I realized why aren't meditations silly and lighthearted? Why are they always so serious when the goal is to make you feel better than before you started? I feel like there can be a spectrum of how serious to funny they are. It's still accomplishing the same thing. So then I kind of had this wonderful epiphany of, oh, I could do this. I can offer something to the world that doesn't exist yet. And people might want this now. So I better just do it right now. So (laughs) I kind of just had that epiphany and kind of, you know, just hopped right on it and made it happen, I think, in like two weeks from when I had the idea. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think and that's so wonderful about you. Um, And I can see that in your work that you're just like, oh, I'll go. I'm going to go with this. And now I'm going to go with this. Um, I think I'm the same way a lot. Like when I got the idea for a podcast, it was really just because I was, I was in my studio. I was talking to another artist, like about his path and we were discussing, Oh, and then you did that. And then you got blocked and why did that? And, and I was like, I should have a podcast. And then like immediately I just, yeah, I started. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, I think that's what the wonderful part of living in the moment is because I think it's, it's so easy for most people to, you know, think about the fear aspect of why they can't have a podcast, or I don't know anything about recording a podcast, or I don't know how to edit, or, um, you know, what if nobody listens to it? And, you know, you think about the future, what it means, and there's so many things that could get in your way of making it happen. And for me, as soon as I give myself a break to even think about that stuff, or let that stuff get in my head, then I might not ever do it. So I tend to just go with the flow. And when I have this exciting idea, I just have to make it happen right then or else I'll get too scared and I won't do it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I feel, I feel like now I love the scary stuff. I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I'm jumping off cliffs, I guess it's because I'm, I used to be like really afraid of like owning my space and say talking and blah, blah, blah. And, and I don't know. I'm just, I feel like every time I do it, I get this like endorphin kick or whatever it is <laughs> and and it's like a high I'm like I'm doing more of that <laughs> <laughs> well I think for for me this might be the same for you I'd love to know but um I found that the fear around so many things that hold us back is the what ifs of you you have this perceived outcome in your head of the worst scenario mm-hmm. of what will happen if you make this scary decision of you know and in that really prevents a lot of us from making decisions and for me whenever i push past fear and i actually do the thing 
the perceived outcome I had in my head almost never happens. And sometimes whenever it does, it's not even a fraction as bad as I thought it was going to be. And so I think that's for me, that's the high of like, oh my God, I, I held myself back from doing this for so long. And once I finally did it, it wasn't even at all what I was expecting. It was so much better and so much easier. And so yeah. now I'm kind of in this habit of of thinking about what well, what else have I been afraid of doing? What else has yeah. been back that I can get out of the way now? Definitely. I mean, and yeah, the human mind is kind of, you know, pretty annoying because of, <laughs> yeah, that I think, you know, I knew that I wanted to be an artist when I was a kid and then I just got like derailed and derailed and everybody told me like, it's a bad idea. And then I started telling myself that it's a super bad idea, you know? And then I, I think, yeah, through meditation, I was, I was meditating and the, it was a guided one. And he asked me like, what do you, who are you and stuff? And I was just, I'm an artist, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it took, it took me like a long, long time from yeah being derailed, I guess to, yeah, to letting go of that fear finally. Yeah, I think a huge step in the right direction is to just admit that that's who you are now. Yeah. I think me, uh, especially like when we're talking about imposter syndrome, I'm I'm always going into these new spaces that I don't really feel like I belong in. Like right now, I'm going into all these comedy spaces, mm-hmm. and I'm you know I don't feel like I can call myself a comedian. That doesn't make sense to me because a comedian looks and acts a very specific way. They do very specific things for their job, and that's not what I'm doing. But as soon as I like dropped that fear and just said, okay, you know what? I'm going to start incorporating the word comedy and comedian into my description or the way I talk about myself. As soon as I started doing that, I it opened a lot of doors for me mentally to feel like I can own those spaces and I can do those things. And it all just stemmed from me admitting that that's what I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. I mean, just, yeah, going going through that. And like you said, like going, looking at like, well, what else haven't I been doing? Because I was scared. Like, oh yeah, it's so good. I Um, remember just looking at other people and saying like, especially other women and and looking at them and say, wow, I wish I could wear that outfit, but I mm -hmm. could never, you know, like it's too, I would get attention or it's too loud or I would, you know, see personality traits or characteristics in others and say, that's so amazing that they can do that. I wish I could do that too. And so now whenever I have those thoughts, I immediately challenge myself and say, why can't I do it? And then sometimes I go and I do it. And then it's, it's great and freeing and it's totally fine and amazing. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's like a self-worth journey, I guess, too, about be, being seen and allowing yourself to be seen. Um, Absolutely. Yes. I think that a lot of the decisions I used to make, I used to be very introverted. I would be, if there was a group of more than just me and one other person, I would be totally silent. I wouldn't speak unless I felt like I had something extremely rehearsed and important to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And once I finally got over that fear and just started being okay, being noticed, I just, I got hooked and and decided that I wanted to find what other areas I was holding myself back in. And now I'm just obsessed with assessing all of those things and pushing through them. Yeah. <laughs> Same. <laughs> it's awesome. It's like, it's really living. I feel like it's, I feel so much more like I'm actually living my damn life instead of like being the shadow version of myself. Yes. So it's, yeah. 
amazing. It's so hard to get here, but um, it takes time and patience and you just have to push through the first couple times. And I think then it becomes so much easier. It does. And I also feel like the universe, whenever I, whenever I make a decision that's like towards my, my like reason for being here, the universe like pushes me and it gives me gifts and it's like, yeah, go, go, go. You know, like <laughs> here's the money and here's a studio or whatever. <laughs> yes. I, you know, I found the same thing. The more that I push myself forward and show the world who I am, mm-hmm. um, the more stuff that I do, that's such a reflection of my weird and strange and unique brain, um, the more opportunities I get. And I think it's been so magical and I'm getting used to the fact that some people are going to be very repulsed by who I am. <laughs> so, and that's been that's been definitely the hardest thing for me because I'm a people pleaser and I want everybody mm. to. Like me. Yeah. And realizing that the more I push myself forward, the more um, I'm going to uh, have at least a f- couple people here and there that are not into it at all. Mm-hmm. And I have to be okay with that. And I've learned as it's happened more and more to me that it is okay. I'm not for everybody. Of course I'm not. Nobody is like, um, think about, I'm trying to think about like the most beloved people in the world. Like for example, like Beyonce, of course there are people that really hate Beyonce. I don't know how that's possible, <laughs> but you know, like everybody has some people that just aren't going to like them. It's not going to be for them. And I think that's okay. That's, I guess the whole mission that, that I'm trying to fulfill is that everybody's really unique and we can all create things that are unique to us. So of course there are going to be people that clash with your unique self. And I think that's okay too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I also think, you know, haters gonna hate, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's yeah. not a lot you can do. You can't. And, and that's another thing I've been working on is like letting go of control and sort of just being like, well, I can't control if these people are going to like what I do or not. You know, I can just be responsible for me and put in, putting out there what I want. And then, you know, I put out a forest of dicks the other day and I was, I was like, mm, what are people <laughs> going to do? <laughs> it turned out fine. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that, uh, it's been a social media has been an interesting thing for me because now I can see, you know, now that I have podcasts like with you, I think there's, you're opening the the arena up to being reviewed and rated. Mm -hmm. And so that's really scary for me. But just the fact that I'm allowing it to happen is a really huge step in the right direction. Um, and pushing past the fear I have, I don't know if you do, but I have a business account on Instagram so I can see when, how many people unfollow me every day versus Mm -hmm. and that stat at first was just ruining me because I was like 92 people unfollowed me today. Oh my God. And (laughs) it's horrible. And, um, (laughs) I never go on this. I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm not looking at that. (laughs) And so many people were like, Meg, just stop looking. Mm. Um, but I, I never did stop looking. And I think it's been really helpful for me because now I'm just like, okay, six, only 60 today. Cool. And, and so now I'm like, it doesn't like it matters less and less and less to me. And it it is emotionally damaging less and less and less to me. And I think it's making me stronger when it comes to this huge insecurity I have about other people not liking me. And so the more I'm exposed to it, I think it's helping me more and more, even though it certainly hurts, but now it hurts less, which is, I'm so happy to finally be in this spot where I can look at those numbers and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I think, you know, I, I've definitely been chasing like external validation on Instagram a lot and to a point where it kind of made me stressed out that I had to produce so much and post so much and sort of keep up. And I thought that I had to do that in order to like stay on top of my game and all of that and wanting my business to be just like my own work. I've, I've let go of most of my client work because I just wanted my own to grow. And, um, and then, you know, being sort of dependent on that Instagram following and all of that. And I don't know, I did a lot of work with myself and, and now I'm just like, yeah, it's gonna, whatever. I don't really care. I don't know. It's Yes. It's, super easy to overthink everything and especially if you get to the point where you like are paying attention to numbers and then you're like I thought people would like this and they don't yeah yeah. it makes it so unfun and it makes it feel like it's not a creative playground anymore and that part sometimes bums me out and uh in the past I used to think I used to overthink everything I was doing of like I want to post this thing but it's I don't know if the photo is like high quality enough I don't know if if it's interesting enough or maybe it's not very good and I would think about everything so much and then I would post it and then I would like get self-conscious about it. So a couple of days later I delete it or like there was just so much strange behavior. And now I think that I'm very intentional about what I'm doing in the way that I, I try to make, a, make sure that everything, at least in my feed that I'm posting is offering something useful to the world, Yeah, um, whether it's useful for me or whether it's useful for, for them. And uh, I try to figure out what I can create for people that other people can't. And that intention has been really helpful for me to just feel more empowered by what I have to offer the world and also what I can make for them. And so now I don't get very self-conscious about what I'm posting. Um, And then I use stories as a way for me to just be myself and be in the moment, um, which is so important to me to be in the moment all the time. And I, I allow myself to use stories for that. And then my feed is just kind of a place where... I try to create value for other people and try to have a destination to where I'm working towards something that's bigger than myself. Yeah, that's well, I mean, it's amazing. And your feed, I'm scrolling through your feed. It looks so, so (laughs) darn good. (laughs) Yeah, it's gotten very chaotic visually lately. And I really like that. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. I mean, shaking it up, you know, and growing. I think, yeah, I think it's such a huge part of staying like, relevant for yourself and having fun I mean it's a huge thing for me because like we talked about a little bit before when as soon as you stop having fun your your stuff gets kind of what's the word dull I guess yeah it does yeah yeah It does. Absolutely. And I think that I live in such a privileged place where I am able to be so motivated by fun. So I created this career for myself that is so fun. And I I do whatever feels fun. And I'm so used to working for myself and having to survive based on my own abilities. And so now I've just gotten really good through a lot of practice and hard work of figuring out how I can make things that are fun make money for me because I have to. (laughs) So so now I'm just like totally hooked on making sure that everything both feels fun, but also is making me money. And I think that just being able to 
figure out what I can make for the world that most people can't or utilizing my own voice and my own unique brain and pushing that forward allows me to create things that other people can't, but marketably that makes it uh, make more money because I'm creating something else that nobody else can. So I'm offering something to the world that other people want that they can't make. Um, So that kind of magic balance has been really helpful for me to figure out how I can survive financially on basically just having fun for a living, which is fantastic. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's what everybody should be doing in, in one way or the other, you know, I think. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's so hard for so many reasons, but I'm, I'm just so happy that I finally gotten here for myself, at least. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think, you know, that in itself helps so many people because they see that it's possible. And I think that's really a great value too to give to people that it, it is actually possible to just, yeah, create something out of, well, just yourself. Good. So, yeah, I, I think that my main goal now is to not try to inspire people to do what I'm doing in any way. I don't want them to make work that looks like mine or have a career that looks like mine. My goal is to be myself as loudly as possible and make stuff that's unique to me as much as possible so that I ultimately inspire other people to do the same for themselves of figuring out how they can have a style that's unique for them, how they can make things that are unique to them and offer things to the world that are such a reflection of their unique selves um, that it becomes more fulfilling for them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I mean, I think this about being being yourself as much as possible is so beautiful. I, I have this saying in my head, like, how much can you shine? Like, yeah. you know, how, how much can you level up and how beautiful and magical can you make this stuff, right? And, yes. Um, it's so wonderful. Somebody recently, after seeing me talk about all this stuff, they in the mail, they sent me this. Um, so I was wearing this. I If you go on my Instagram, you'll probably see it eventually. I have this jacket that's really amazing. That's like all of these pieces of fringe. And the, the oh the, yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, because of the material of the, of the fringe, there's it's very challenging for a stitch to hold on to the fringe. So the fringe is always shedding everywhere. Mm. <laughs> and so anytime I enter a room or like use a toilet, there's just fringe everywhere inside of the toilet. There's fringe all over the floor. It's a, a total mess. And so one time I gave a talk and the fringe from this jacket was like all over the venue I was speaking at. And somebody collected some of the fringe and sent me in the mail this like beautiful resin orb that they had created that had the fringe inside. And they wrote me a letter about how meaningful the talk was to them, but they wanted to, they made an orb for themselves and made one for me as a reminder that we are like shiny magical objects with magic inside and when i received that in the mail i just like cried for days (laughs) it was so beautiful but it's also such a helpful reminder to me and it makes me so happy that i was able to deliver that message to somebody else and help them receive that sort of wonderful sentiment in inside of themselves and you know then you know you're very close to your actual purpose here on earth right i mean because I'm kind of going the same direction that like unblocking other people just by trying to be as magical and shiny as I can. <laughs> ah, it's, it's beautiful. And I think people need it. I think people need it right now more than ever. Yeah. And, uh, yes, it's a, a beautiful thing to help to shine and to help other people shine too. 
And and how did you go from, you said before that you were very introverted and you would sit and like contemplate what you're going to say before opening your mouth and stuff and just standing on a stage and <laughs> just being fully you and talking to people. Like how did you make that jump or like that transition? It, it, it was a lot of what, kind of what I mentioned before where I would, I had to realize that fear was getting in the way of everything I was doing. It was preventing me from making money. It was... It was preventing me from being myself. Anytime that I would say something in a public conversation that sounded weird at all, I would be so self-conscious about it. And I would think about it for weeks and months and just dwell on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, you said that weird thing. And, and now, now I only say weird things. But I think that uh, <laughs> I think that once I finally just in practice of dipping my toe into the water of doing things that were a little scary and then it being okay. And then realizing, okay, it's okay when I do that. So then let me try this other thing. And then, okay, people like it when I do that. And I think I was acting that way just because I was so self-conscious about my body, my personality, everything about me that was different. I was trying to hide. And once I just little bit by little bit started to show people who I really was and realized that it wasn't a big deal. The reaction I was receiving was either the opposite of what I was expecting or it wasn't bad at all. And and so I just got in the habit of trying a little bit more and a little bit more. And then eventually I just got hooked because it was so easy over yeah. time. It was less scary. And so I think that um I, I think that's the work I'm trying to do now is just inspire people to do that more for themselves. They deserve it. Everybody deserves to be themselves. Yeah. And my goal is to just in small ways, whether it's through um, speaking to an audience or in my Instagram feed or the, I'm just trying to create safe spaces for people to where they feel comfortable being themselves. And uh, there's so many ways that I can do that through one-on-one friendships and relationships to um, the environment I'm creating for people on social media or, you know, teaching workshops and all the stuff that I'm doing is just me trying to create those spaces for other people to feel excited and curious and less scared to explore who they are and be themselves outwardly. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've had that like really hard and long journey too to becoming an artist and I've tried, like I've been so blocked and I've tried so hard not to be an artist and like, you know, done everything in the proximity of it, like studied art history, like have a master's degree in that, you know, and then graphic <laughs> design and then illustration and sort of like, you know, just walking around in that forest. <laughs> And, but yes. I think, you know, I think that there was a, there was a like larger plan with that. And it sounds like it's the same with you because you have to have gone through that forest exactly. to sort of be able to help other people find the way, right? Exactly. Yes. I wouldn't change anything about what I did because I wouldn't have gotten to where I am now. So yeah, it's been a long and difficult process. And I'm hoping that the work that I'm doing is helping people save time and have that process be just a little bit shorter or help them speed along a little bit. Um, but it, it, but a lot of it is just so much self-discovery and learning about yourself and being um, open and comfortable with yourself growing and changing. And that that ultimately always will take time for everyone. So I feel I feel bad telling people that it's going to just take like a few years. 
<laughs> because everybody wants an instant answer, of course. Yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm hopeful and, and glad that I can help people at least speed the process along. Definitely. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, seeing other people do it is just, it's a huge thing. I mean, it's been a huge thing for me and I think it, it must be for others to sort of start to unblock and think like, oh, this is actually possible. So, um, so, uh, one of my questions is what do you do to keep yourself sane and productive? Like what does your <laughs> day look like and how, how do you, what do you do to stay in your flow? Yes. So, uh, um, I think it's been, it's most helpful for me to eliminate distractions. So I always have all notifications turned off on my phone. I have it on do not disturb while I'm working as well. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, there was a lot of anxiety when I first started doing that around emergencies of, Oh no, what if there's an emergency? And luckily I have an iPhone and they have a feature that if somebody's on my favorite li favorites list, they can get through my do not disturb. Um, and so I just kind of have it set up that way. So that way my anxieties are at least put aside. Mm -hmm. um, that's been greatly helpful for me, but also listening internally to myself has been so helpful because I have so much going on and I work really hard and I'm super self-motivated, but sometimes I just hit a wall where I can't go anymore and my brain just stops. And I, it happens sometimes when I'm not expecting it, but I've learned that I just need to take like an hour to turn my brain into mashed potatoes in some kind of way, whether it's watching a TV show that helps me to do that, or if it's meditation or just going for a walk or having a long lunch listening to myself and giving myself that when I need it has been very helpful. It took a while of, for me to not feel guilty when I was doing that. Mm -hmm. um, like I would just leave in the middle of the afternoon and go see a movie and then come back and keep working. Um, and, and that felt guilty at first because that's not what people normally do in the middle of a work day. <laughs> and so yeah. just giving into those things and listening to my brain and what it needs at the moment really actually helps me to make better work and it helps me to stay productive throughout the day and it helps me to not feel burnt out as easily um yeah. just yeah it's it's very helpful so that's usually the the main thing that helps me to create a productive space for myself it's so funny that that i've come to exactly the same conclusions <laughs> like like you know like just and I've had a lot of like guilt about that, you know, like, oh, you're not supposed to take time out for yourself. And what are you doing taking a walk? And why are you going to the beach? Like, and, but I just realized like, I'm, I'm so much more focused than when I do sit down and work. And maybe sometimes I only work four hours a day, but I get a ton of work done and my ideas are more fresh. And <laughs> yeah, it's just instead of the eight hours on, on your ass kind of in front of a screen, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think whenever sometimes people, um, some people have described me recently and in the past as being like a workaholic or the hardest worker they know. And then other people are like, Meg, do you even work? Like some people <laughs> think that I don't work at all. Other people think I'm working all the time. And I've, that's been confusing feedback for me to hear because <laughs> I feel like I work hard and I play just as hard as I work. Yeah. And that balance is so important to me. And I absolutely need that. But I think I'm also really good at allowing myself to have what I want whenever I want it, um, which sounds, can sound really self selfish, but I, that's just what I need to, in order to do my work and to be successful and to make money and to feel fulfilled at the same time. 
Yeah, but I think being selfish is key. And I think being selfish is actually, you know, the wrong word. It's self-care. It's, it's <laughs> yeah. giving yeah, it's giving yourself the thing you need in order to be able to to create the thing you're here to do. I mean, and and that is so important. I mean, I have a I have a note in in my studio saying I'm doing God's work. Uh, Julia Cameron told me to put it there. So um so I did. And in the beginning, I was like, what? I'm not doing God's work. But now I feel like, yeah, I am. And I need a break and I need a hot chocolate right now. You know what I'm getting? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's so true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think uh, we don't have a lot of time left, but maybe we should go through the questions um, from from the listeners, um, yes. I'm just, I could just read the ones, um, one person asked, uh, the pressure, the pressure of having a style and sticking to it because that's supposed to be a key to success. Um, Oof. I think, so I, I think about the style thing a lot because I know that a lot of, especially designers that work in either for companies or for clients really struggle with the sort of like a designer is not an artist kind of argument um, because you need to adapt your style based on the problem you're trying to solve for. And I've thought about this so much because when I first started my career, I was more of a problem solving designer. Like I was working for these pharmaceutical companies and these tech corporations and instead of trying to create a solution, a design solution to a problem that they were trying to solve for. And so, of course, my style needed to um, sort of evolve and change depending on the solution that was needed for that problem. And I think that that's a lot of the beautiful design work that's out there in the world is designers doing the hard work of adapting what they personally like and pushing that aside and saying, no, I actually need to change my style in order to solve for this problem. I think that's a great quality in a designer, especially if that's the work you want to be doing is solving problems for others. Um, for me, I've realized that I'm more fulfilled when I'm on the artist side of the spectrum rather than a problem solving designer. So uh -huh. that's been very wonderful for me to realize that I want to be more on the artist side because now I articulate that and I tell that to companies and they understand. And yeah. so now the work that I do is usually a brand or an agency that has already created a solution in their head and my style just happens to be perfect for that solution that they've already defined as solving the problem and so within that i have to you know i have to change and adapt to that solution but generally my work is then i'm hired for that reason so rather than being a problem solving designer i'm more of a designer as an artist and i see a lot of designers getting really hung up on feeling like they have a, have to have a style versus the fact that design thinking is more surrounded around problem solving. And so there's a lot of argument in both directions, but mm -hmm. I think it's more of finding where on that scale is most fulfilling to you and what your brain is better at doing and enjoys doing more. And for a lot of designers, it's that problem solving piece. And so they don't, I don't want them to feel pressure to have a specific style if that's the case. But I do think finding a personal style for everybody is very valuable because it comes in handy when you're trying to do stuff like create your own website or your own internet presence or 
you know, design for yourself, or if you have a side project that's a reflection of who you are, I think all of those things require you to feel confident about the style that you have. So I think at least identifying a style for yourself can be very valuable for that. But I don't think that it's necessary to always work within a style for every designer. Yeah. I also think, you know, finding that style is doing a lot of, of work. I mean, I don't know. That's, that's how I got through it. I just, I did so much work for so many people and so many different styles and I would just do anything. Like you kind of said, you know, I needed to make a lot of money and I was just like, I'll do this. I'll do this. Yeah. I can draw like that. I can draw like that. I, you know, and then sort of slowly starting to figure out like if, if people are just starting out, um, what you like to draw and what works best for you and like your colors and all of that. Um, but I'm wondering how you work with clients now, like how do you deal with corrections and stuff like that? If you, if you do, you know, a design for, for a brand and they come back and they want to change this and that and like, do you allow that or? or yeah, that happens constantly. Um, mm -hmm. and that's definitely a hurdle I've had to figure out how to get over now that I'm working more as an artist because my brain is still used to solving problems. So a lot of times they'll say, okay, we've been working on this project and we need your style. We're hiring you to just do your thing on our, on our piece or on this, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy for me to just be like, okay, cool. Got it. Um, and then within that, I'm happy to have revisions and, um, because you're just hiring me to do my thing. If we need to change the shapes or the colors or whatever that might be, then we can. Um, but sometimes, um, like an exec at the company or something will step in and say, actually, I don't want this as the solution. I want a different solution. Yeah. <laughs> and my, um, my problem solver, uh, past is usually like, okay, no problem. I can handle that. I can just do some sort of like Victorian style illustrations instead that are completely different than what I normally do. I can figure this out. And now that I'm marketing myself as a artist, I I've had to actively stop myself and say, no, 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 Meg, they hired you as an artist specifically for your style. So you have to make a decision now on, do you want to push back and say, sorry, no can do. Do you want to suggest that they now work with an artist that specializes in these Victorian style illustrations? Like, so now I have to figure out what I'm trying to get out of it at the end. If these projects end up going in an unexpected direction, yeah. because now that I'm more of an artist, I have to advocate for myself as an artist. And, uh, I'm, I shouldn't be pushed around as much. Um, I should kind of stand my ground for my style and my art. So that's a confusing spot that I've ended up in. And I think mm -hmm. that's a very unique situation for a designer who's, uh, positioning themselves as more of an artist, which is quite rare. Um, yeah. so it's a very unique position where I've had to kind of forge my own path here and figure out how I, how I want to be perceived. And, you know, I like people to like me. So I always want my clients to enjoy working with me. So it's a little bit of finding a balance of, how can I advocate for myself and my own work? Um, but how can I make sure that this project is successful at the same time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because you want to, you also want to do something where you put out the best work that you can. And I think like most of the time, that's the work where the client doesn't really have their hands too much in your, <laughs> in your part of the job, because that's, that's when they hired you, you're an expert and you're the best at what you do. I mean, I've had a lot of problems with clients uh, about this. And in the end, I, I just, I would always say like, yeah, I can do it for the price, 
but you don't get corrections. Like there's no, there's going to be no corrections at all. And then, you know, I would have like a lot of problems with that too, because people would be like, okay. And then later they they wouldn't be so okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I don't know if, if people struggle with this. I know I've definitely struggled with like setting boundaries and relationship with clients and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but I absolutely. but I think being clear from the beginning is definitely like a really big step. Yeah, <laughs> that's been I think when it comes to client success, that is the number one thing that I've learned over the years of working as a freelancer is so much of it is being really clear and communicative about the expectations and what they're going to receive and what it's going to be like and what happens in all of these scenarios. And just so that everybody's on the same page, because the awkwardness always comes from people just not understanding exactly what's going on. And so, of course, a client's going to ask for something because they have no idea if they can or not. <laughs> so yeah. I realize now that it's so much better. It creates a more successful ending and process if you can just be really clear about what's going to happen from the very beginning. Yeah, definitely. Especially also people who have who, who has no experience with working with an, with an artist or designer. Uh, absolutely yeah interesting Hmm. well it's also about setting boundaries and I think like being in your worth about like your work and knowing like fully knowing that that you know best like how to how to do it do whatever it is that has to be done Um, yes yeah all right well I think the 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 other questions are kind of the same this one that says uh, daring to experiment and go through phases publicly social media and accepting it as the process of finding one's style and giving yourself that freedom, even though others might not stick around for it or think it's your style. Yeah, that's interesting. I think that I found a lot of beauty in just being open and honest and vulnerable on social media goes a long way for me. Um, So if there's something, if I'm like, Hey, I'm experiencing, I'm experimenting with this new style or I'm trying something. It makes me uncomfortable, but I'm just going to show it to you anyway. I think people that resonates with people a lot, um, rather than it like just looking confusingly inconsistent with everything else I'm doing. They're like, Oh, well, it's really nice to peek under the hood and see what's going on in Meg's head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just helps give them context of what's happening and why it's happening. And I think being open and honest with people about all of that stuff is just again, creating an environment where they can then feel open and honest about discussing who they are and all the changes that they're going through. And so I don't know, I'm, I, I don't, it doesn't work for me to just show polished things and say, Hey, now I've made this beautiful thing. So you can feel bad about yourself looking Mm -hmm. at because you're not able to make clear polished things all the time. I try to show people the process and show people my curious, curious phase and what goes wrong and what's working, what's not working so that they can feel comfortable with who they are. Because I think when I was first starting out as a designer, I was so insecure about how good I was and how I really was terrible. And I was so scared and like everybody else is so much better than me. And it wasn't until I started making friends with other designers that I thought were really talented and I got to look at their screens while they were designing and see what it actually looked like while they were working out their thoughts and ideas. Mm-hmm. I realized that every designer, even the most talented ones, make absolutely garbage work whenever they're working out their ideas. <laughs> and yeah, so yes. that was so comforting to me. And it made everything so much better because I've realized that 
at that time, I, I, I noticed that the secret is that they just keep going. Like their ideas look like the designs look really bad at first, but then they just kept pushing and they kept pushing harder and harder and working longer and longer. And eventually the designs got good. Like things came about, ideas happened, like one thing led to another with the designs and, and then eventually it became amazing. And I think I had this realization at the time that I just wasn't working long enough on everything. Like I wasn't, I I wasn't going to, I wasn't continuing. I was making something that looked bad and being frustrated that it looked bad at the beginning where of course every idea immediately looks pretty poor because you haven't worked it through. And so I just kept working harder and longer on each piece. And then eventually I realized that they always turned into something great. I just had to keep going. Yeah, true. Yeah, I remember those those days like of just sitting and trying and having an artboard with like a million different <laughs> things around. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And now I'm a little bit more intuitive about what I need to do in order to make things that I'm going to like. Yeah. Um, but still today I get a little frustrated sometimes when I make something and I like, I know this is going to look good and I just have to put in like six more hours. And that's, that's so unfortunate. I don't want it to take six hours. <laughs> I want it to look good. Um, but now I just know, I know what the process is like and I know what to expect. So it's a little bit easier for me to handle. Yeah. I think, you know, it's also putting in those 10,000 hours and being experienced and knowing like how to solve problems visually and that that just takes time so you you also just have to sort of know that well I'm in a process and I'm not like done you know I'm learning stuff every step of the way and being okay with not being there you know like yes yeah yeah we're unfortunately we're not magicians it can't just appear yeah (laughs) Um, and I I wish that and I hope that I think this is a trend that's emerging, emerging, but I hope that more creatives show that and show how bad things looked at the beginning and mm-hmm. how long it takes to actually get it to finally look good and yeah. look like the version that they're showing the world. Um, because that is so helpful. It's still really helpful for me when I see other people do that. And so I know it's helpful for everybody else, too. Yeah, it's we have to be courageous. I mean, I think you're so courageous for for doing that and showing that and being vulnerable on social media. It's really it's really hard. I'm working on it still. It's like yeah, hopefully I get there. But uh, Yes, but, it is. It's so hard and very scary. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I think I just have one last question for you. It's just like at dreams and ambitions? Do you have a bucket list of projects you want to do? Or Great question. This is <laughs> a great question just because it's what I've been thinking a lot about lately. And I'm actually not a, like I mentioned, I don't think about the future very much. I don't like goals and I don't mm. like plans because if I set a goal for myself, you know, three, six months from now or a year from now or whatever, I'm just going to work towards it and I'll meet it. But what I've loved so much about my career so far is that I tend to leave all of the doors and windows wide open for anything to happen. And I ultimately always end up somewhere way far away in a completely different direction than I could have ever imagined for myself. And that has been such a magical part of my career. So I've ended up so much further away and be way beyond any kind of goals that I could have ever set for myself. And so 
for me now, I'm trying to think of like, what am I, what is going to happen? Like, where could this possibly all be going? The fact that I'm now working in more of like performance art and comedy mixed with design. And so I've been trying to even tr come up with a vis visualization of what that looks like. And I'm really interested now in, because I'm, I love creating these little experiences for people um, where I just kind of burst in and I help them to work on themselves and to make all these realizations about who they are and what they can do now. I like that. And I like designing the experience and I mm -hmm. like the performance art aspect of it. And so now I'm taking all this information and realizing that it's kind of like, if you took the concept of a variety show, but made it more like self-helpy and useful. <laughs> and so I'm trying to figure out what that looks like and what that means and how I can keep working really hard and hopefully get into that sort of space. Um, but I don't exactly know yet what that means for me. It might mean creating more of a video series or web series. Um, it might mean like pitching a television show to networks or something like there's yeah. so many options like I could go on the road and do a show. Um, there's a lot of stuff that, there are a lot of options and I like that um, because I, I imagine that I'll end up somewhere that I'm not expecting of course. Yes. Um, that's where my head is at now is I'm just trying to use design and comedy to help people live more fulfilled lives and there are so many ways I could do that which is super exciting. I mean, I could also see you creating sort of a performance art theme park. Just all, <laughs> I mean, can you do that? I would go. What a dream. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dream big, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But uh, I, I love, I love your point about that. I'm, I'm kind of the same with this. It's funny. We have very par <laughs> parallel ways of thinking because I've always been like, no, I don't make plans because what, what's actually going to happen is going to be so much more amazing than what I could possibly fathom in my head, you know? So it's like, yeah. Yeah. I think goal oriented people really love goals because that helps them move forward. And I think a lot of times people don't move at all if they don't set goals for themselves. And I'm the opposite. I'm so self-motivated that I just go hard and run so fast and make everything happen mm -hmm. for myself. So this way of thinking works really well for me and probably the same for you. Um, but I realize that a lot of people don't resonate with that at all. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> and sometimes because sometimes you don't have to go forward. Sometimes you have to go like to the side or yeah. um, like, you know, down or up or whatever. <laughs> I don't know, because I, I never would have thought that like ceramics would be what I would be doing. Like that's completely like, wow. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it was like, it's a detour that just kind of got to the main road. And now I don't know if I'm even going to keep doing that. And I don't know, you know, anything yeah, could I mean, happen. I think too many people, like when it comes to that, I think a lot of our, we're taught to think about the success or failure mindset. And so f for you, like that attitude of saying, I'm, I could have never seen this happening with the ceramics. And now I don't know if it's going to keep going because I might can see myself drifting in a new space that I'm excited about. I think that's such a healthy attitude to have. And most people, unfortunately, would frame that as like the ceramics 
I'm not into it anymore. So I let me consider this a failure. Mm, right. <laughs> On to another thing that I'm trying to either succeed or fail at. Mm. And that is such a bummer to me that people put that much pressure on themselves to have like this finite conclusion on everything of either this succeeded or this failed. Those are the two options where I just really, I think it's fun to follow what's fulfilling and what feels good and what's interesting to you. And and then if another shiny object comes along that's really fulfilling and exciting for you, then follow that. And the ceramics phase is just like this magical part of your history and another skill that you have. And um, so I think that your attitude is really great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah but, and yours too, obviously, because we have the same attitude. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. I really, I really, really enjoyed talking with you. I love your work and everything you're bringing out into the world. Right back at you. Amazing. So, <laughs> all right. So, thank you so much. And thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Shadow Work Podcast. I totally forgot to ask Meg where you can find her online, but on Instagram, her username is darn good with four O's, or you can search for. Meg Lewis, and her website is darngood.co. I'm going to also link uh, to her meditations and podcasts in the show notes. Thank you. Bye.